Masech Nedarim Daf Mem Vav. We saw the Mishnah last time about uh, Shutafin, two people, let's say, call them A and B, that have a partnership. They jointly owned a courtyard and they prohibit each other from benefiting from each other. Then both of them are prohibited from entering the courtyard because, um, in part, since it's owned partially by A, B can't go in, and since it's only partially by B, A can't go in because then he can't. He would be benefiting from B. That's the opinion of Tanakamad, Bialiezib, and Yaakov says, no, they can go in. It seems his reasoning is that um, since this is partially, A can say, it's partially my field, so you cannot prohibit me from entering into my own field, and B says the same thing. So we're going to analyze the parameters of this machloket, when what is, which exact case does it apply to? According to the Mishnah, it does not make any limitation, which, which sounds like it applies across the board. But the Gemara is going to first ask, what kind of neded are we talking about here? In other words, who made the neded? There's two ways for something to be prohibited to, let's say, A. A can either make a neded upon himself, and he says, I make a vow that B's property is prohibited to me. Uh, so A is the, both the person making the vow, and he is the object of the vow. He's the one that's going to incur a prohibition. On the other hand, um, B can also be the one to make the vow, and he can say, I prohibit A from benefiting from any of my property, in which case uh, the result is the same, very similar, which is that A cannot benefit from B, but here B is the one who made the vow, and A is the object of the vow. Right. So in both of those examples, A is the object of the vow and therefore has a prohibition, but it still can make a difference whether A is the one that makes the vow or B is the one that makes the vow upon A. And so that's going to be the opening question of the Gemara. Ibayalehu, benadru peligi, hididu mai. So the question is, it seems that the Gemara, the Mishnah for sure is talking about, it would be applicable in a case where they made, each made a vow upon themselves. If A made a vow for himself, I will not benefit from B. And B made a vow for himself, and he's also said, I will not benefit from A. In that case, the opinion of Rabbanan, we're focusing on Rabbanan, would certainly be true, and A would not be able to enter, because he made a vow upon himself that he's not going to benefit from B. So that was clear. But what about the other case where B makes, uh, makes a vow that A cannot benefit, and A makes a vow that B cannot benefit from him. What about that case? There is a logic to say that they would only have a machloket, a machloket in the Mishnah, uh, would only apply when they made an, a vow upon themselves. Uh, because that in that case, Rabbanan would make sense to say that each can each of them cannot go in they made the vow they made the, the the vow upon themselves so since a prohibited himself he can't go in but you might say if b is the one that said hey mr a you can have any not have any benefit from me well then maybe even rabbanan would agree with Yakov that a can go in because in that case a is like what how, what right do you have to tell me that i can't go into my own property no i'm going to still go in 
And so that, that's uh, definitely a logical possibility. In other words, if A makes a, makes a vow upon himself that he's not going to benefit from B, well then, he's prohibiting, prohibiting himself. That is going to fully apply. Um, and so he knows the consequences of that, that this is a shared property. And so by making, by making his, this, making a prohibition upon himself, he is harming himself and he will be limited. And so he can limit his own action. That's, that's, that's totally possible. Any vow will limit one's own action if it's upon oneself. But B, uh, we can argue, Rabbanan would agree that B does not have a right to prohibit A from A entering into his own shared property. So that's one side of it. Or the other side is maybe uh, the machloket uh, is across the board. And even if B made the vow upon A, and A is the one that made a prohibition upon B, even in that case, Rabbanan would say that neither party can enter the field. Enter the field, and in fact, that's true. Even though B didn't say B didn't prohibit himself, but A made a prohibition on B, still that sticks, and B cannot have any benefit. And going into a joint field is some benefit, and it would apply even there. Okay, I mean the Peshat seems to be across the board because Mishnah doesn't say anything. But certainly, there is a lot of good logic to say that Rabbanan would agree. Uh, it's very clear why the why the why the Gemara here is pushing Rabbanan to limit pushing to limit Rabbanan. We're going to see at the end of the sugya is going to conclude that halacha is like Rabbi Eliezer ben Yaakov, um, even though he is the minority opinion. But we follow his opinion. So you see, even before we get there, we're trying to limit Rabbanan as much as possible and make Rabbanan agree with Rabbi Eliezer ben Yaakov. That way, we have a smoother path towards the halacha actually being like Rabbi Eliezer ben Yaakov. All right, that's the question. Let's see if we can prove it. From the Mishnah itself, Tashema, Haya Echad Min Mehen Mudad Rabbanan. Look at the next clause where the vow goes only one way. And it says only one of them uh, is prohibited by a vow from his friend. And yet the rabbis uh, disagree. So this language, Mudad that sounds like uh, either way. A is the one that made the vow upon B and said, hey B, I'm prohibiting all of my my benefit to you. Right? That's what it sounds like. Mudad And yet, even in that case, Rabbanan say that if A tells B, you can't benefit from me, then B cannot go into the property. So you see, we can prove from this case and the exact language of this case that yes, the rabbis would uh, would disagree across the board. But we say this is not necessarily a proof. Maybe we should uh, repeat the Mishnah, teach the Mishnah as if it said um, one who is has a vow upon himself from benefiting from his friend. Um, it's not clear if it really means to change the Mishnah. Probably not. There, I think they're saying that even the words mudad doesn't necessarily mean that uh, B is prohibited because of something A said. It could be uh, used in a in a passive way or reflexive way that uh, um, A is prohibited. Uh, a, a is prohibited. By himself, he made the prohibition himself. Now it says, "I'm not going to go into into the. Uh, I'm not going to benefit uh, from B." 
and then he also he would be prohibited right so what either one doesn't matter one way he would also be prohibited so the language of the, of the mishnah may be imprecise and it's very possible that rabbanan uh, in fact would agree in the case that um, one makes a vow upon the other maybe that person can go in and the uh, and it would be and he would agree with the ben Yaakov. okay so it's really quite significant because the proof that uh, it brought um, actually is a pretty good proof. The words do mean that, and it would imply that Rabbanan disagree with Rebbe ben Yaakov in both cases. And that seems to be the Peshat of the Mishnah. Um, but here, by saying, no, not necessarily, we can understand this language as being Nadur, that he has a vow upon him, and he made it, made it himself, and, uh, and yet... Uh, um, and and so there's no and maybe so therefore maybe Rabbanan will only say in that case that there's a prohibition because he made it upon himself but maybe not in the other case and that's how we leave it okay there's no proof from here but at least we make it a possibility an easy clean possibility that Rabbanan's um, argument may be very limited to only one of the two cases and now we say you know what it actually makes sense that we're only talking about that Rabbanan would only say their opinion when someone makes a vow upon himself. Then he limits himself. How? Why so? The katani sefa the kofina tanoder limkor et At the end of the of that clause regarding the one way, it says that we force the one who makes a vow to sell his um his half of the his uh, ownership of the property now there's two ways to understand this when i met when i explained the mishnah yesterday i was explaining it according to the Yerushalmi and the rambam which i think is the peshat of the mishnah the babi is going to take it a different way uh, the question is the um what the, this noder who is is he uh, for, uh, making a vow upon himself or upon the other person? Uh, so the simple reading actually is that no no dead. Let's say it's A. He's telling he's making a prohibition upon B, and when he does that, we force the vower to sell his field because now the vower. This is according to the banan who says it takes effect. And when A makes a makes a vow that B can have no benefit from A. Now B will have a problem because he can't go into his own field according to Rabbanan, and that's very unfair. And so we force A to sell his share of the field, and that way, once he doesn't own it anymore, then B can go into his field. That's actually the simple reading. And if that, if we go by that reading, then Rabbanan would disagree with Rabbi Eliezer in all cases. But the but the Bavli is not reading it that way. Instead, they're reading it as Hanoder, that the vow, the one who made the vow, made it upon himself, right? A made a vow upon himself. I'm not going to go in. And yet, we force him to sell, the, to sell the field. Now, that's the question. He made a vow upon himself. Why would we force him to sell, a field, to sell the field if he imposed on himself a vow? Now, the reasoning seems to be that if once he makes this vow and he can't enter his own field, we worry that he's not going to keep to his vow because a person wants to enter his field. There's things happening there uh, that need, need to get done. And so he's going to end up violating the vow. And so therefore, it's, an, it's not a sustainable vow. So we force him, hey, you better now, you made a prohibition upon yourself that you're not going to benefit from your 
uh, um, from your partner. And that means now you can't enter your own field, but you're probably going to enter the field at some point. So you know what? You better sell your field so that you will not come to enter it. Okay, so understanding it that way, um, we prove from here that, in fact, Rabbanan forced it to be on only one case. If we say that the person making the vow is makes himself prohibited, then we understand why we should force him. You did something wrong, you know, something rash, you made this vow, I guess you were angry at your partner, but, you know, you made a prohibition upon yourself, but you're responsible, so now you have to follow through with the consequences and sell your field because it's not a sustainable vow. On the other hand, if we say that, um, let's say B is making the vow upon A, and saying, B says, hey, you can have no benefit from my property, then why should we force A to sell his field? He was, uh, he was in a situation beyond his control, right? What did he do wrong? He's just sitting at home doing nothing. B makes a vow, and then now we're going to force A to sell his field? That wouldn't be very fair, which does make sense within this logic. And so, therefore, um, it has to be that who, if we're selling, if we're forcing someone to sell a field, has to be the one that made the vow, and that could only be true if the one that made the vow made the vow upon himself. Um, uh, uh, yeah. Uh, see, in this case, when B made it upon when when B made the vow upon A, the the logic why we might tell A to sell the field is because the vow is not sustainable, even though B made it. Now A can't go in, but A eventually is going to want to go in, and he's going to forget about the vow. Is going to violate it, so we say you have to sell it, sell your fat, your half. But that really wouldn't be fair to make him sell his half. And therefore, we conclude the Bavli concludes that in fact it makes more sense to uh, read the Mishnah as talking about only one case where A makes a vow upon himself and B makes a vow upon himself. Only in that case. Uh, would, would Rabbanan say that each of them cannot go into the field, but if they make a vow upon each other, then each one will say, what, you made a vow against me that I can't go into my field? What do you mean? It's my field too. I have a right. You can't, you can't impose that upon me, and they would be able to go into the field. And so um, you see this way, the Bavli actually concludes that uh, pushing Rabbanan much halfway closer to Rabbi Eliezer ben Yaakov. Okay, so this is really um, quite astounding and uh um to to see how the uh, how the bavli um completely actually reinterprets the even the reason why we make him sell right according according, according to the peshat or we're, we're we're causing to sell uh specifically in a case um where a makes a vow upon b that b can't go in we tell a hey you did something not very nice causing a not to be able to go in so you have to sell your field so specifically when he does it to someone else that's when we would make him uh sell the field and the bavli actually turns it around for opposite effect okay and so now we have yet another limitation on this machloket. And again, the limitation is directed to the rabbis, Rabbanan, and the Rabbanan say they can't go into each into the field. Each of the partners cannot go into the field. That's only in a very in a limited case. Um, let's see, what's the limited case? Only if if the field is big enough that it can be cut in half, 
How big would that have to be? Um, it has to be something usable. So a field that's less than four by four amot is not usable for anything. It's just not, it's just it's worthless. And so if it's at least eight by four, such that you can cut it in half and have four by four, then that's where the banan say that when they make a vow, it, when they each make a vow prohibiting themselves, then that that applies. The idea is that um, you know they they made a vow and they can't go in. It's true, uh, but technically they could split the the field into two, and then they'd each be able to enter into their own half of the field. So in other words, we have a ready solution for them, and therefore they shouldn't be allowed to enter into the field while it's shared, but rather split it. Okay, so they'll they'll split it. Aval and bakede haluka kol mutar. But if it's so small, let's say it's only four by four, and it's impossible to split it between them between the between them each other. In that case, they are permitted to go in uh, because, after all, each one can say, "Wait a second, this is my field, even though I have a vow that I cannot benefit from my friend, so I can't go into his field." It's true, but this is also my field, and no vow. Even if he made it himself, according to the banan, no vow can prohibit me from entering my own field. And you can't say in this case, well, split it and then go in because it's indivisible. And so this is yet another limitation upon the banan. We're making the banan themselves smaller and smaller, um, and that is actually a way of showing that we're going to eventually agree with Rebbeleis de Ben Yaakov. Yosef. Now we have a challenge to this limitation here. If you have a synagogue, a public synagogue that belongs to everybody in the city, it's public property, that is the same as uh, some, uh, a field that cannot be divided. Uh, not that the synagogue is so small, it's big, but uh, people don't want to divide their synagogue. They want to have a nice big synagogue that everybody can fit into, right? There's no, there's no way, a practical way that they would be able to divide it, right? Just, just because uh, you know, three people want to make a breakaway minyan uh, doesn't mean that they can go and uh, cut off half of the synagogue and take it for themselves. Doesn't work like that. So, because public property is indivisible. And yet, we have a Mishnah coming up soon, Utnan, Shenehem Asurim Bedavar Shel Ota Ha'ir, that if there's two people that live in the city, um, and they one makes a vow against the other, or they make a vow against each other, and so both are prohibited from benefiting, benefiting from, from the other, not only are they prohibited from personal benefit from each other, to you know come over to the, each other's houses for a meal, but they're even both prohibited from the public property, including the synagogue. So because they have, there's a kind of joint ownership in the Bet Knesset, and we have A here and B, and there's lots of other people that live in the city, and A and B have joint uh, joint interest in the Bet Knesset. If A uh, is prohibited from benefiting from B, then he can't come to the Bet Knesset because the Bet Knesset is partly owned by B and partly owned by A. And uh, therefore, they cannot go in. So here's the challenge. This Beth Knesset, what are you going to do? He's going to say, split it. He can make his own section for himself, the A section. Uh, you can't do that. You can't split it. And yet, Rabbanan still say that it, were it, it, the, 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 the vow is effective and you can't go in. Which means Rabbanan prohibit even when it cannot be divided. That is the challenge. 
And so, Ela Amar Rav Yosef Amar Zairi, and therefore we answer with another version of what Zairi said. This is one is by Rav Yosef. This one was by Rabbah. As Rav Yosef says, no, that's not what Zairi said. Yeah, in fact, he said, Machloket she'en bach kedeh haluka, aval yesh bach kedeh haluka, dibre hakol asur. He said that the argument is only when the, uh, you cannot divide it, but when you can divide it, then everyone would agree that it's prohibited. In other words, the limitation is actually the other way around. It's a limitation on Rabbi Eliezer ben Yaakov. So every, uh, the machloket is when it's so small that it cannot be, uh, not, cannot be subdivided. That's where Rabbi Eliezer ben Yaakov is lenient. And he'll say, listen, if it's so small that you can't divide it, then you have to be allowed to go in. Because each one will say, oh, this is my field. You can't prohibit me from going in or, or uh, going into my own field. And so we can go in. But if it's big enough that it can be divided, then we tell him, hold on, uh, A and B, stay out because A, you can't benefit from B, B, you cannot benefit from A. By entering the field, you're benefiting from the other person's part of the property. And if you say, well, it's my field too, I have a right to go into my field, we'll tell him, well, you know what? First, divide the field, right? Because that's, that's a possibility. It's big enough to divide. And since you can go into your field, yes, by dividing it, therefore you have to divide it first. And so, um, and according to Rav Yosef's version, we're actually putting the limitation of uh, permission on the opinion of Rabbi Eliezer ben Yaakov. All right, so now that we have two versions of that, conclusion, Amar Avuna, Halacha Kerebi Eliezer ben Yaakov, Echen Amar Rabbi Elazar, Halacha Kerebi Eliezer ben Yaakov. We have the two testimonies that, although it's a minority opinion, uh, we do say that Rabbi uh, Eliezer ben Yaakov's uh, opinions are Kav Venaki, they're succinct, but they're uh, clear, and we follow them for halacha. So whatever he says, we do follow for halacha, and this is one example. And therefore, uh, whether A made a vow upon himself, or upon B, or B upon A, they are allowed to go into their own fields. All right, now we get to the, the, um, the, the last part of the, 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 well, the second to last part of the clause of the Mishnah had a case of uh, that's where uh, B owns some property, uh, let's say with a bathhouse on it, but he leases it out to C, third party, and uh, the third party runs it. And then uh, A has a vow that uh, A is not going to give any benefit to B. Um, the question is, can A go to the bathhouse, or when he pays the fee at the bathhouse, is that going to be benefiting B, who owns the land? Um, so that's the question. Uh, so we, uh, the answer is, the Mishnah says, depends on if there's tifisat yad. If uh, B has owns a share in the business of the bathhouse, and he gets some profit from every time someone comes, if he gets a gets certain percent, fifty percent of the profits, then certainly it would be prohibited because a by going to the bathhouse, um, even though C is running it day to day, but B is getting the profit, so that's giving direct benefit to B. But if if not, if B is simply uh, um, renting out the land um, and C retains all of the profits and losses then that would be permitted because um, even though, well, technically, part of what he pays to see is going to be used to pay the rent, 
Uh, nevertheless, that's that's permitted because that rent has to be paid no matter what, no matter whether, whether A comes or not. So anything extra would be profit, or even if it's uh, it doesn't have a profit, the C would sustain the loss. Um, B is going to get the same amount of rent no matter if A comes or uh, comes or not. Okay, so now our question is, what does that mean? How much of a stake in the business is considered sufficient? Any amount? Rav Nachman says it would have to be, for example, a half, a third, or a quarter. But not less than a quarter. If he only has a few percent uh, interest in the in the company, that's negligible amount. And so, you know, less than a quarter of my entrance fee is going to go to be uh, that we don't worry about, and that will be permitted according to Rav Nachman. Abayas says no. Any any a profit is a profit, right? Even if it's a one percent. That one percent is going. One dollar is going to uh, B, and A is prohibited from giving B any benefit. So And so, in what case would it be permitted? Only if the uh, B receives a annual, an annual rental fee. It's a set amount uh, that you have to pay uh, fifty thousand dollars to rent this uh, this uh, piece of land. Maybe it has a bathhouse already on it. Maybe B C built it. Doesn't matter. And uh, since it's a fixed amount of rent for the entire year, uh, then uh, no matter how many people come and use the bathhouse and pay or not, it will make no difference to the bottom line of B. And therefore, that's the only case, according to Abaye, that A would be permitted to go to the bathhouse. If B makes anything more, has even a small share in the business, then it will be prohibited. Baruch Adonai Amen v'amen.